Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. This one article was from Bitcoin to AI, how six financial advisors would personally invest a thousand bucks. I don't usually look at these articles, but I thought just for the fun of it, I would look at this article and just see what it had to say. Now, number one, I often talk about, you'll hear me say that I think that when you're dealing with a financial advisor, they ought to be a degreed planner, right? You'll hear me say that. Either a certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant, I just look at that as starting places. But this is why I just say they're starting places, because they had six different advisors they went to with this question, and there was only one of them I agreed with. I mean, one out of six. You know, it's uh, five out of six is bad, you know, to uh, quote meatloaf in a different life. It would be definitely worth looking into generative AI, says one financial advisor. Wait a minute. So basically what he's saying is you ought to be going and loading up on AI stocks, artificial intelligence stocks. If you look at the AI companies, and there is one portfolio in particular that loads up on these things, its rate of return last year was like negative 60%. It was really nasty. It was really bad. Even with a jump in AI this year, it still hasn't caught up with the losses it had over the last year. Because you have to have, if you have a 50% decline, just to put this in numbers, if you have a 50% decline, it takes what to get back to where you were? 100%. That's a pretty big climb. That's a tall mountain to get up. And this person's saying, jump into that. So what's he doing? Stock picking. Uh, he's market timing in a way because he's looking at a sector of the market and really getting into one little sub-segment of the market. That is just basically gambling, okay? So that was the first one. Okay, second advisor they went to. What did he say? Sector stock. And in particular, what did he recommend? He recommended Lockheed Martin. And why? He says, well, because, you know, if you look at this Maryland-based Aeronautics Arms Defense Technology Corporation, I mean, good grief, you got, you know, the war in Ukraine, you got weapon stocks are running low and there's going to be a lot of reorders and blah, blah, blah. And you look at that and go, wow, that makes sense. That makes sense that he would say that you ought to be looking at a company like Lockheed Martin, right? I mean, think of it. But here's the thing. Is it like nobody else knows that there are going to be weapons reorders and that Ukraine and, and that there's a war going on and people need stuff? No. Remember, last year, the stock market was what? Down. Most markets, pretty much all markets in general, were down. S&P 500 down almost 20%. Now, some areas weren't down as much. Small value is only down like three. But if you look at that and you go, wow, the markets were down last year. What did Lockheed Martin do? Up 40%. 40% positive return. So if you look at that and go, oh, well, maybe people buying the stock last year bought it and ran the price up in anticipation that 2023 would be good. So again, what is it? Horse got out of the barn and he comes out and says this thing. Okay, next financial advisor they talk to, what does he recommend? This is great. 
Bitcoin and the ARK fund, which is the ARK fund is, is what I was talking about uh, a little bit earlier. I was talking about this fund that invests in this technology and actually absolutely had an abysmal, an abysmal run. And, and if you look at the rate of return since that fund has been around, and mind you, everybody was talking about it. Kathy, what the, the, the manager of the fund is still on TV all the time talking about, hey, what's going to happen next? Where are things going next? And if you looked at the early rate of return on this fund, that's why she's getting interviews. Is everybody's going, wow, this person's brilliant. Until it went crash. And the rate of return of that fund is literally the same as the index that Morningstar benchmarks it against. The rate of return is the same. Well, is that bad? It is if you look at the fact that the standard deviation or the level of volatility is off the charts. Nosebleed. And nobody was paying any attention to it, hardly at all, before it went and crashed. When it was going up like crazy, nobody was paying any attention to it. So what would have been the returns of the vast majority of people that would have invested in it? Bad, really bad, because it came crashing down to the earth. You know, so if it was horrible. Now, so they go and they say, okay, well, what else should we do? So they go talking to another certified financial planner. And so in the grand scheme of things, investing an extra thousand isn't going to impact any individuals. And any individual financial plans greatly. Good, good start. Really good start. He said, so it grows. Uh, so, you know, so he, his point was contribute the money to a Roth IRA so it grows tax-free over your lifetime. And the idea, hey, yeah, sounds great. What's the problem with that advice? The person, it's ready, fire, aim. Ready, fire. They, this person has no clue what your tax situation is. Are you in a low bracket and likely to be in a much higher one in the future? Because maybe you're, you know, a young kid just getting getting your start and you have no income. That might be decent advice in that particular situation. If you're likely to be much, much higher in the future, and if you're wondering about that, you know, this is something that I've talked about many times before. You can go and look for where I've talked about Roth IRAs and how I think many times they're being oversold, especially with the possibility of what tax law changes could be coming down the road. Keep that in mind. But if you look at that and you go, well, I don't know anything about you, but I'm going to say, do this type of an IRA. That may not be the greatest advice in the world. You know, it might be pre-tax, maybe way better. So stepping out there and saying, doing that. Eh. Uh, next one says, uh, as far as actually investing the excess funds, person says, look for a low cost, broad index fund and ensure that it has international exposure. Well, the problem is, is that when you invest, you might have anywhere from 12 plus asset categories that you want to. When, when I invest, I'm going to be using lots of different asset categories. I'm going to have small companies and have large companies. I'm going to have growth companies, value companies, international, U.S., all of the emerging markets, different areas of the market. There are two asset categories that indexing works really well, large U.S. and large international. And... In essence, they don't work as well in other areas because you're overweighting big companies and growth companies. So again, that's lazy advice in my humble opinion. Okay, next one. Next piece of advice for another certified financial planner, another part of the country, said it would focus on long-term goals. Good start. 
Good. Focus on long-term goals. I like it so far. Because certain factors have been shown throughout history to perform better during long periods of time. For example, stocks outperform bonds. Good. That's the first factor in what is called multi-factor investing. Excellent. Value stocks historically outperforming growth. Doesn't say it historically, but you should add that for compliance purposes. Uh, that, that is good. Small companies tend to outperform large cap companies. Very good. There we go. And the last one, you know, says, per, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. The last advisor asks, says, personally looking at U.S. growth stocks, eh, that's where you'd expect lower returns, and developed or emerging market international stocks. Again, tactical asset allocation. Out of six different advisors that were asked about what they would do with $1,000, out of six, one, in my humble opinion, had this right. They went academic. And the reason I bring this up is when you're talking to financial advisors, I want to know that they are coming from an academic standpoint. I want to know what their level of education, if I start to hear anything about, I would put some money in this area of the market. I would put a little bit lean about this one because this is what's going on in the economy. Here's what I think is going to happen. I think you ought to do a Roth and I don't know anything about your, they haven't looked at your tax return. They know nothing about your tax situation. They know nothing about likely inheritances down the road. They know nothing about what you have access to at work. They know nothing about any of that stuff. And they start giving that type of advice. I would run. I would not walk. Number one, number two, number three, number four. I don't know, whatever I'm on. <laughs> I get worked up. Okay, now what I was surprised about was that nobody of, and maybe it was because they were degreed planners, maybe that's the reason, I don't know, but none of them recommended annuities, which I was glad, to, well, I guess maybe you couldn't get an annuity for a thousand bucks. Maybe that's why. But you know, one of the things that caught my attention this week was an article in Investment News. It was entitled Out of the Park. And the, the subheadline says Yankee slugger Aaron Judge set, to, set a home run record in 2022, and the annuities industry made history too. That to me was sad. That what happened in 2022 is the annuity industry set records. Why? When the stock markets went down, and when stock markets go down, what happens is people come out of the woodwork selling you guaranteed products because all of a sudden people are all into preservation. And of course, when we look at markets, what do they do? They go up, they go down, they go up, they go down, right? So when we look at markets going up and down and up and down and up and down, what follows down <laughs> But up historically, right? So what you're doing is when you have a downturn and then all of a sudden somebody talks about putting your money in a fixed annuity or an indexed annuity or something that can't go down in value, what they're doing is they're telling you to lock in your losses and go and put your money in fixed income investments so that when the market recovers, that you can't recover with it. <laughs> and you know, somebody may say, well, wait, 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 Paul, indexed annuities can recover. Oh, they have cap weights. They have, you know, so basically what they do is they cap your upside. They have participation rates. They do all kinds of things to cap it so that your upside potential is stymied to say the least. Now, when I thought it was interesting in this article, they were talking about allocations to annuities. What were people going to sell more of or what were they not planning to sell? 
And I, I thought it was interesting until I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about it and it, was, it all, because I was actually pr pretty heartened by what, I was, by what I was reading. I was reading that people selling indexed linked annuities, that it was an increase in the number of people that said they weren't going to do that anymore. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe they've gotten, you know, maybe they've gotten a little religion. Maybe they've, they've seen the light that these things stink and they're going to sell less of them until I noticed that they were going to sell more fixed annuities. And then I was like, oh, okay. So basically what they did is they said anything that had anything to do with the stock market, they ran away from. That's probably what happened. I'm not positive. But I, I just thought it was, it was kind of sad that this is what's happening and this is what the industry, the investment industry is going yippee over, that people are selling more of this stuff. Because as I've said so many times, and if you hadn't heard me say it before, you'll hear me say it a million times, the best benefactor of the annuity sale, if you want to make a lot of money with annuities, I tell people, be the one selling them to people. Those are the people that make out like crazy. And I've heard people say, eh, you know, there are, there, are, there are financial advisors out there that, you know, when, when your name is brought up, Paul, they say, well, the reason he doesn't like them is he, doesn't, he can't sell them. <laughs> no, I had licenses. The license to be able to sell that stuff, it takes just about nothing to pass that test. I actually went and got the, all the licensing in a different state. It was 10 times as difficult as Tennessee. It was way, way more challenging. I dropped them because I looked at it as a conflict of interest for me to receive commission on the sale of products. There are limited times that I've recommended annuities, but I just don't want to get paid for it. So I just want to set the record straight on that. Hey folks, I want to tell you something I'm really excited about. My new book, Confident Financial Planning is finally out. It's in paperback, hardcover, Kindle version, and I actually have an audiobook version of it. Uh, it talks about building your financial castle. I use that throughout the book, talking about your investments, your financial plan is kind of like a castle. You have your savings and your emergency funds. I talk about that, debt, good debt, bad debt. I talk about special goal funds and how to set those things up and how to invest for those types of special things that you might want to do in the future. Types of retirement accounts, different types of taxation of investment accounts. Talk about real estate investing and pros and cons of that, how to project retirement assets, and your moat. You know, that's how you protect your castle. It's the risk management aspect of a financial plan. If you want to find out more about that, you go to paulwinkler.com forward slash book to get it. And I uh, hope you enjoy. I was prepping for the show. I was prepping for the show today. And I ran into this article that has been on my desktop for, I guess this was been on my desktop since April. And I guess it was something that I meant to talk about on the show. And I guess I'm probably really glad that I did not talk about it because this is funny. You ready for this headline? Stocks haven't looked this unattractive since 2007. Okay, so everybody remembers what happened in 2007. You have this like big monster, just everything falls apart. And toward the end of the year, you know, the banking started to look a little bit weird. Real estate starts to look real weird. All of a sudden, now you have houses being worth more 
you know, well, basically worth less on paper, excuse me, than what the loans were on them. So the home loans, I mean, good grief, people had three homes and they borrowed money and they didn't have the money to pay it. And then, of course, the collateral, which is the house, has dropped in value. So the banks are in an absolute tizzy over this. And then the stock market starts going down late 2007. And then 2008's a mess. Early 2009's a mess. Now, you know, late 2009 was fine. But you see a headline like this in the Wall Street Journal, and what do you think? I better get out of the stock market. This is, this is rotten. Stocks haven't looked this unattractive since 2007. So I went and looked at the, there are 12 different asset categories that I would hold in a portfolio, large and small and large value, small value, U.S., international and emerging markets, you know, four asset categories in three different markets. And what do I see? What do I see is that 10 of the 12 are actually up since this article was written. You know, so, so much for being able to predict the future. But that is, as I often say, recognize that is what Wall Street has this tendency. You know, the only things that happen to be down more than not over that same period of time were fixed income bonds. And remember, what we hold bonds for in a portfolio is to have low correlation or a low movement with stocks. So if stocks go down, you know, and they go down a lot, if you own the right type of fixed income bonds, they tend to jump in value. I say tend because you can have periods of time where they, where they can move together. And you can have where they, the longer bonds can move together. But when you're investing, that's what you're always wanting is something that doesn't move in lockstep with everything else. Okay. Uh, another thing that I thought was, uh, was good, you know, there was this article about when markets melt down. And it was talking about these traders cash in. Now, this was something in, yeah, I guess it was the Wall Street Journal as well. And they were talking about this group of people. They had this hedge fund. Now, I'll never forget the first time that I was introduced to the idea of a hedge fund. I didn't really know much about it. It's it kind of like I, it was, I was more of a neophyte in investing. And somebody mentioned hedge fund. I go, ooh, ah, yeah. Oh, this is what the wealthy invest in. Wealthy invest in hedge funds. And if you're going to be wealthy, matter of fact, there was a big thing in, on the news this week about how much money that the wealthy have in cash. Well, recognize that the wealthy can afford to go and put a bunch of money in cash, number one, you know, simply because they're not going to run out. Even if they screw up, they're not going to run out of money. But it's not because they know what's going to happen next. The wealthy have a tendency to make bad mistakes. There was a big thing that I did years back where I took this study and it was in it from a book and it was the wealthiest people in the world, a whole book on the wealthiest people in the world. And what I did is I looked at the rates of return of growth as best they could tell the growth of their estates. And it looked at it over a long period of time. I forget. It was like 25 years. I think it was something like that. And it looked at the growth of their estates versus just what the market had done. And the market had beaten most of them. You know, so in essence, wealthy people aren't necessarily great at investing, okay? So don't necessarily go and give them a bunch of credit for being phenomenal investors. But what happened is that, you know, people 
that talk about investing, a lot of times they talk about what the wealthy do because it's like, ooh, I want to be like them. Recognize that investing is not where they got their wealth, okay? Now, when I was first introduced to the idea of a hedge fund, I thought, hey, that's, a pretty, that's pretty interesting. Wow, they can do anything, go anywhere, and the wealthy people invest in them, and they, you have to have a certain amount of money to invest in them. It must be really, really good. But you know, the reality of it was the data on these funds, were, it was not pretty. It wasn't good. You know, If you looked at the return, it was pretty bad because of something called survivorship bias and reporting bias, and I won't get into that right now, but it wasn't good. But anyway, this, this is an article about when markets melt down, these traders cash in. So I was intrigued. And it says they had this Miami-based uh, hedge fund manager. I'm not going to even give him any press. I'm not going to even talk about who it is. Uh, they had huge rewards during market crashes. And I am going to add to that. In the past, they had good rewards during, during market crashes. doesn't mean that they're going to do well in the future for reasons I'll get into in a second. Okay, so they found her. And he says he sees another catastrophe looming is what he says. At a conference in late May... He said, decades of low interest rates and other factors are leading to what is called a mega tinderbox time bomb in the financial system. Now, number one, remember that these people are typically investing in the bigger markets. Uh, they're not even in some other. There are, there are markets around the world right now that are selling for a tiny, tiny fraction of the assets of the companies. So if you're a diversified investor, recognize when they talk about a tinderbox, it could just be in the asset classes that most investors are in here in the United States. Recognize that, that that's probably what he's talking about. I don't know for sure because he doesn't mention it specifically. But if you read this, you, you come to the conclusion it's going to be really bad. Well, what does he say? Later on, if you kept reading in the article, he said that doesn't mean he thinks stocks are poised for a crash. Indeed, in the short run, he believes the market could be in for a strong rally. Now, that's what we call weasel language in the investing world. They're going to tell you it's going to fall apart. It's going to be terrible. It's going uh, to be horrible. It's going to be Armageddon. And then they tell you, oh, it could be in this for this huge jump. In well, which one is it? Well, the reason they do that is that no matter what happens, they can say, see, told you. Told you it was going to go down if it goes down. Or, see, I told you it was going to go up if it goes up. And you're left still thinking that there's some kind of a guru. Now, what is it that is problematic with what they're doing as far as future possibilities of returns are? Well, they're engaging in options trading. And the problem with options trading is you can magnify gains and losses with calls, which are options to buy, or puts, options to sell. If the market drops precipitously, when you have a put, you, you can still sell a stock at a certain price, even though the price of the stock is actually lower. So if you have a put to sell something at, uh, at $40 and it drops to $20, somebody has got to pay you $40 for it, even though the market, it's only selling for $20. So you can protect the downside. Well, the problem is, is with this. And you'll see these options will expire. And when they expire, you'll see a frenzy of trading. Typically, you know, like, you know, you see a Friday afternoon, you'll see a, a frenzy of trading where people are covering their options trades. And when they cover their options trades, they might be limiting their losses by going and buying or selling or doing whatever they're doing regarding what type, depending on what type of an option that they actually have. And in essence, what it is, it's a gamble on market direction. 
Now, you may remember there was a movie done about the 2007-2008 crash. And these people were out there and they were betting on the market what it was going to do. They were betting on a crash. And that's hence why they made it a movie. And it was so popular because they ended up being right. But what people miss about that movie, what was critical, is you had to be dead on right as to the timing. And they almost lost everything. That's the part that gets missed. They almost lost everything because the crash didn't, almost didn't happen fast enough for them. So be very, very careful when you see things like this, not to get sucked in thinking that we got something good here. And these people, hey, they got it last time. They're likely to get it the next time. Don't be so fast. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.